listening to the sermon audio from Renaissance Church. We pray that this message equips you to be formed into the image of Christ as you grow in your love of God and it fuels you to love your neighbor as yourself. We are convinced that while this sermon audio is beneficial, it should only be supplemental and not replace local church involvement, the pastor God has put over your life, or your commitment to gather in person with other believers to make more disciples for the fame of Jesus. Peace be with you. Last week, we talked about how the rabbis in Jewish's time were extremely permissive about divorce. And if the rabbis were permissive about divorce, then they were just as permissive with not keeping the oaths and the vows that they made. The rabbis weren't all that different than our modern-day politicians, saying one thing and meeting another. They're not all that different than the, the spin rooms that you hear about on, uh, from the media outlets, where after a speech or after a debate, there's these rooms that the media would go into, and they're called spin rooms. And in those rooms, you would find spin doctors. This is not to be confused with the 90s grudge band that's saying Little Miss Can Be Wrong. These are the spin doctors that take a politician's words, and they make it come across in a way that a politician didn't really intend for it to come across. They want to make sure that the media is viewing a politician's words from the right perspective. Oh, no, 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 no. He didn't really mean that when he said those words and offended that group of people. He really loves those people. In fact, he loves those poor people more than anybody else. Nobody loves those people more than he loves those people. They make something mean something that it never meant to begin with. If we're honest with ourselves, we are just like this. We are spin doctors. We know how to make our words mean something that they don't really mean. We do this with promises we make. We do this with commitments in our family or community groups or in our church. I mean, shoot, we even do this with commitments that we make for diets, or we don't call them diets anymore. We call them, it's a new eating lifestyle, right? If anyone is like me, every Tuesday I say the same words to myself. Next Monday, I'm going to start my new lifestyle of eating because I couldn't keep my yes a yes when I was going to keep my word from Monday's new lifestyle of eating. And every Tuesday, it's the same story. Next Monday, I'll begin. Anybody with me there? It's hard to keep our yeses, yeses, and our noes, noes. And so how do we become a community of people that when we say yes, we mean yes. And when we say no, we mean no. I love the way John Stott, in his, his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount, he summarizes Jesus' words from this chunk of Scripture. John Stott writes that the summary of this passage is this. Christians should say what they mean and mean what they say. Christians should say what they mean and mean what they say. That is our focus here because this is Jesus' focus. 
And we'll see this unfold as Jesus recounts three things. If you're taking notes, here are the three things that Jesus unfolds to us about our words. He'll first tell us about the words of Moses. Second, he'll tell us about the words of men. And third, we'll then hear the words of the master, where he'll tell us, say what you mean, and mean what you say. Y'all ready to dive in? First point, the words of Moses. If you're following along with me in your Bibles, which I encourage you to do to make sure that what I'm saying is what this word is saying, in verse 33 of chapter 5, Jesus begins, And you've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Just like Jesus has done before, he's starting with an intrinsically good command of Moses. Jesus is not talking about the forbidden four-letter words that we use when he says not to swear. He's talking about oaths and vows and our inability to keep them, to swear falsely. He's pulling us from places like Leviticus 19.12. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. And then again in Deuteronomy, you shall be careful to do what has passed your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. These oaths are calling God to be their witness. Saying, I swear to God, I will do these things. And if you do them, be blessed. If you don't, you'll be cursed. And this is the heart of what it means to take the Lord's name in vain. You're using it for your own advantage to get people to believe you. And in Exodus 27, it says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Jesus's and Moses's attention and intention is clear. Keep your word before the Lord. If you say you're going to do something, do what you say. Say what you mean to say. Don't just say the words and deceive yourself and others around you, but follow through on your word. Don't just merely be sayers of the word, but be doers of your own word. Now, why is this important? Why is this important for image bearers to only have truth dripping from their lips? It's because God is a speaking God. And when God speaks, he speaks truth. When God speaks, he speaks life into existence. And when God speaks, he blesses. This is why we want to be people of truth, because it's through God's word that everything was created. It's through God's triune communal word that men and women in his image let us create them in our image we are created by this word and we are to be his representatives that if god is a speaking god we are to be a speaking people of life 
truth, and unity. If this is what our God is like, then we as his people, as his image bearers, must do and be the same. We are to be a community renaissance of truth. We are to be a community of not words that deceive, but words that can be trusted and believed. Renaissance, we are to be a people that don't reflect the father of lies, the Satan who says, did God really say? But we're to reflect the father who speaks truth and say, yes, God really did say. And we are going to follow through on it. Renaissance, we are to be a people who use words that don't break trust with one another, but instead words that build trust and build community, for this is who our God is. He is a speaking God, a God of truth. And Moses says, perform. You shall perform to the Lord all the promises you've made, all the vows you have made. Just mean what you say and say what you mean. Those are the words of Moses. But then Jesus transitions into the words of men. If you're still following along in Matthew 5, this is verse 34 and 35. He says, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let's focus on that first part. When Jesus says, do not take an oath at all, let's figure out what he's not saying. What he's not saying is what some groups of people has interpreted. You're not to take any oath, period, full stop. Um, You'll find this in an Anabaptist community or the Mennonite community where they take zero oaths. Not even marital vows not oaths. That's why they can't be be jurors. But if we were to take no oaths at all, then Jesus' older cousin, John the Baptizer, would be in trouble, right? Because he took a Nazarene vow. And later, the Apostle Paul, after Jesus died, rose again, and ascended into heaven, he goes and takes a vow of the Nazarenes. Look with me in Exodus 18, 18. Should be up here on the screen. If it's not, I'll just read it to you. He says, after this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and at century had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. So Paul is taking vows. And then we see Jesus gave a response while he was under investigation before he was crucified. What we read in Matthew 26 is the high priest said to him, I charge you under oath. There's that word, under oath, by the living God to tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus responds, you have said so. So here we have faithful followers of Jesus and King Jesus himself being under oath. So then what could Jesus mean when he says, do not take an oath at all in verse 34? I'm convinced, as well with the majority of church history, that what he's condemning is a type of oath-taking. He's condemning a type of oath 
taking. The type of oaths that he's forbidding is where we verbally commit to something with religious jargon. Can you say religious jargon? It's when we commit to something with religious jargon with no intent of actually doing it. And we know this from the woes that he pronounced on the Pharisees in chapter 23. One of the strongest woes, Jesus is condemning the Pharisees for splicing their oaths, for not fulfilling what they promised to do. He said, why why in the world would you say, I swore by the temple, but not the gold on the temple. Therefore, I don't have to keep it. Or I swore by the altar and not the gift that was on the altar. And what they're doing is wrangling their words so that they can evade their responsibility of doing what they said they were going to do. And look what he says in Matthew 23, verses 19 to 20. He says, you blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and him, that is God, who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. See, Jesus is not opposed to oath-taking in general. He's opposed to you swearing the specifics of one thing and then doing another. I mean, why would someone do this? It's because the Pharisees are professional spin doctors. They love to save face. They love looking better than what they actually are. They would love to get out of their promises so they didn't have the societal ramifications on their image and the religious and spiritual ramifications of being cursed if they did not follow through with their plans. And so they would do is, they say, well, I didn't really swear by God's name. I swore by heaven, so I didn't really have to do it. Because the command is not to take the Lord's name in vain. They would say things like, I didn't really swear by God's name, Yahweh, I said the temple. Or they would say, you know, I know I swore by this hair that's black, but it's white now. I don't have to keep that oath, that vow anymore. That's what we read about in verse 35. See, Jesus isn't saying, don't make an oath, period. He says, no oath by heaven, no oath by earth, no oath by the great city, no oath by your head, because that is what the Pharisees do. And unless your righteousness, hear me, church, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, the deceptive and lying Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is what Jesus is saying. The Pharisees were experts at masquerading their hearts' intentions. You all have heard of masquerades, right? Anybody know know what a masquerade is? It's those balls, those parties back in the 15th and 16th century where everybody dressed up in costume and also masks. Now, why do they wear these masks and these costumes to these parties? It was to conceal their identity. Because at these parties, when your identity is concealed, it was to protect you from judgment 
And why did they not want to be judged? It's because they wanted to speak openly and crudely about other people in their communities. So that John Smith could be condemned and shamed in that group and no one would be able to say who spoke evil of John Smith unless the person behind the mask that they're talking to is in fact John Smith, then they would get into some sort of trouble. But what they loved to do is conceal their identities. They dressed up so that their true self can be concealed. And this is what Jesus is saying about these types of oaths. They're just dressed up words. You're masquerading your words and your heart's intentions with words that sound good, but you have zero intention on keeping them. You dress your words up with Christianese and church speak and religious speak, even though you know you won't really keep your word. You're just like the Pharisees who say, I swear by heaven knowing you're just going to come back and say, well, I didn't swear by God's name, so I don't have to do it. So church, where are you dressing up your words? Where are you dressing up your words to make you look better than what you actually are? Where have you opted for Christianese instead to keep your words true? You opted for this religious speak to evade your true heart's intentions. Where is that? Where have you sworn falsely just to preserve your image? Where? These types of words are the words of men whose words don't match their heart's intentions. So we have the words of Moses, the words of men, but then there are words to follow, and that is the words of the master, our third point. Look what Jesus says in verse 37. He says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than that comes from evil. Jesus is saying Don't make your vows, don't make your promises complicated. Just say yes or just say no and then do it. Jesus' little brother James talks about this in his epistle. In James 5.12, James says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or earth or by any oath. Sound familiar? James is taken after big brother Jesus. But let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you might not fall under condemnation. James and Jesus want you to keep it simple. Say what you mean and mean what you say. If you say you are going to do something, do it. If you say you are not going to do something, follow through on it. Don't you see? Jesus says, even when you swear by heaven, in verses 34 and 35, who's in heaven? It's God. It's his throne. Even when we swear by the earth, it's his footstool. 
You're swearing by his name. Even when you swear by the hairs on your head. Do you know who's counted those hairs on your head? Do you know who put those hairs there? Do you know whose image you are created in? God's. You're swearing by God even though you're trying to evade your responsibility to keep your word. See, even when we attempt to dress up our words... Even when we attempt to sound religious and spiritual and holy, we forget that God is right here in the room and he hears every word that we speak and he knows every thought that we think because God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times. He knows what you mean when you say things. So mean what you say. Just say yes. Just say no. Because everything you swear by is God's. I love how Abram Kuyper says this. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. doesn't matter what you swear by. Your mother's grave A doorknob. I don't know what people swear by these days. It's all his. He knows what you mean when you say, I swear. But why does Jesus say anything more than that, than a simple yes or a simple no, comes from evil? Why does he say that? It's because when you swear falsely, when you do not carry through on your word, you are reflecting the father of lies. You are a deceiver like your father, Satan. We reflect the one who deceptively asks, did God really say? And we fall into the trap of not just hearing God's word and failing to do what God has said, but then we deceive ourselves and we hear the words we say, but do not do the words we say. And we really don't swear a lot of oaths today, do we? It's not as formal as it was back then. Or do we? Let let me give you a a little bit of an illustration from my life. So my wife, uh, she can give you an account of this. She's in the back right there. She'll ask me to do things. And I might not be hearing her because I'm fiddling around on my guitar or scrolling on social media. And they say, Rob, Rob, uh, can you make sure you take out the trash? And I say, I swear, I promise, I'll do it. Why do I need to say I swear? Why do I need to say I promise? Why can't I just say yes? Give me five minutes, I'll do it. It's a simple, why can't I do that? It's because I'm trying to convince her that I will, in fact, do what I say I'm going to do, even though I know in that moment I have no intention of following through on it. I just want to get, and she knows this, I just want to get that ask off my back. Stop asking me to do things. We say things like, I promise. We say things like, I swear to God, I'll do it. 
because we know that those phrases prove that we aren't as reliable as we claim we are. So where do you? Where have you doctored up your words with religious speak? Where have you said, I swear, I promise, knowing full intent, you will not follow through on it? Maybe you do this with relationships, whether with your roommates, your friends, your spouses, you say, hey, I know you really want to talk about that. I swear I'll set aside time to talk about that later. They're still waiting to have that conversation. Or we say things like, I swear, I'm, I promise, I'm leaving the office in five minutes. And then 20 emails later, you're still there. Maybe you'll relate to this. You run into somebody that you haven't seen in a long time. Or you meet a new person here on Sunday mornings. Say, oh my God, it was so good to meet you. We should totally get together. I swear, I'll text you later tonight. What's your number? I'll text you. They're still waiting on that text. Or we say, I swear, I hit traffic. There's so much traffic this morning. When you know full well, there's always traffic. And you considered your interest of your schedule or your pleasures of swiping through that computer that fits in your pocket more important than the schedule of the person that you are going to meet up with. Or parents. So I already told you, no more shows today. None. None. We're not doing any more shows. I swear if you ask me again... And they ask again, and all of a sudden you hear, Paw Patrol, Paw Patrol, be there on the double. Or we say to them, if you don't get over here right now by the count of three, I promise you there will be consequences. One, two, Miles, did you hear Daddy talking? Miles, did you hear me counting? One, two, we're really good at counting to two, but not keeping our word to count to three and follow through on our actions. Or church, we have something that happens every three months on Sunday evenings. You know what that is? Our member meetings, where we are reminded of the covenant, the commitment that we have made to one another before God. Where we read through these statements where we say, with God's help, I will. It's a simple yes. You say, with God's help, I commit to regularly gathering on Sunday mornings and with my community group, and regular to you is one to one and a half times a month. You said a yes to regular praying for your church and her leaders, to reading God's word, but you're more committed to getting the likes and the tap backs on social media. You said a simple yes to not be divisive in this church, and yet you cannot stop dividing over issues that are a hundred steps down the stairs of importance of things about BLM, CRT, politics, vaccines, masks, because your yes to not be divisive has become a no, and it's tearing apart your relationships and your church community, and Jesus says, stop 
masquerading in your yeses when you said you would not be divisive. Keep your yes a yes because you've already said yes to Jesus and that yes unites us more than any other difference. We know the religious speak to make us seem better than we actually are. We know how to masquerade ourselves to look more holy and more Christian than those around us. But I know my heart's intent. It's not always lining up with what I say. And why? I mean, maybe you're not like me. I know why I qualify things that I say, just like the Pharisees qualify the things they say. It's because I'm just like them. I am obsessed with self-preservation. I'm obsessed with making myself look better than I actually am. I'm obsessed with choosing the right vernacular because I'm more committed to preserving my image than I am committed to keeping my word. I wonder if it's the same for you this morning. And what happens when we fail to keep following through on our word, it's our inconsistent words then become mistrusted words. And when there's no trust in the community, the community breaks down. And if we're going to be the salt of the earth, where we preserve what is decaying, and we are the salt that goes into the wounds of the earth to stop the bacteria of sin from spreading, then we must look like people who are radically different than the rest of the world, that we say what we mean, and we mean what we say. And we must do this because it reflects our Father in heaven, does it not? That every time God says yes, it's a yes. And every time he says no, it's a no. Because all of God's promises are wrapped up in Christ. Yes and amen. How are we to be going to be a people who strives to say what we mean and mean what we say? It's only when we see that this passage, this entire Sermon on the Mount, is first about Jesus before it is ever about us. That God, from ages past, even back in Genesis 3, he promised by his word that he was going to send his offspring to come and crush the head of the liar and the deceiver, Satan. That word that the Apostle John tells us is the word of God that was with God in the beginning. That was God. He has put on human flesh and he has moved into the neighborhood. That word of God was the word that by whom through whom and for whom all was created, even you and even me. Don't you see God's oath and his vow, his promise is wrapped up in human flesh. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus, who is the word of God, not only followed the word of God, but he followed through on every single one of his words. Because every one of his words that came out of his mouth was truthful of his heart's intent. Jesus, he kept his word even when it proved to be difficult. 
Jesus, he kept his word even when it meant he was going to lose his life. And Jesus kept his word not to save himself, but to save you. Don't you see, when Jesus says, I have not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many, his yes is on the table. That when Jesus came and he said to his followers that the Son of Man must suffer and die at the hands of the authorities and then be raised again on the third day, his yes was on the table. That when Jesus sat in the garden praying with sweats of blood dropping from his face, he says, not my will, but your will. His yes was on the table. And as he was suffering and dying, not seeking his own interest, not seeking to preserve his life, not taking the easy route, he said these words, it is finished. And that is his yes on the table, that you no longer have to work for your salvation, but the work that Jesus has done, it's finished, and it's wrapped in a yes and amen in his person and work. And how did this happen? It's because Jesus had to say no to some things. Jesus said no to preserving his life. Jesus said no to temporary comforts. All that so Jesus can say yes to you. It's a simple, but it's a sacrificial yes. And when you say no to putting your trust in your works, you say no to putting your trust in your ability to keep your word, to earn your righteousness before God, you can commit to another yes. Yes, I have fallen short. Yes, I have not kept my word. Yes, I've sought my own interest before everybody else. And at that moment, you can commit to a better yes. A yes to following the one who was punished for you not keeping your word. And that you get the credit for Jesus keeping his word. And when you put your trust in him, Jesus has a no for you. His no is a no when he says, I will never leave you. His no is a no when he says, I will never forsake you. And his yes is a yes when he says, I will love you till the end. And his yes is a yes when he says in Matthew 28, I will be with you to the end of the age. It's a yes. And when Jesus says, I will not only begin the work that I've started in you, but I will complete it in Philippians 1.16. His yes is on the table. And when Jesus says, I will build this church, on the unshakable ground of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and not even the gates of hell, the lies from hell, the deceptions from hell will overcome it. His yes is a yes when he says he will build this church. And because Jesus' yes was a yes to us, we can now be a people where our yeses mean yes. Because God has said what he meant in the person and work of Jesus we now can be people who are empowered by the Spirit of Jesus to say what we mean, church, and mean what we say. Amen?